Impact Junkie. Welcome to Impact Junkie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Impact Junkie Show, where we are loving people, going places, and changing lives, and we help you be the solution to the world's biggest, hairiest, most audacious problems. And we are so honored to have the gold standard here today, Steve Drury, who many of you know, but if you don't know, we're going to dig today, dig into his story and talk about the chapters of his life. And we're going to go around the X with well, the gold you. standard here today. So good to have you here. Well, it's good to be with you, Philip. And I look forward to telling my story because it is amazing. And it's been a wild journey. It's amazing how time has flown in the last few years with Impact Junkie and to see all the, the junkies. When we, I remember coming to you with the name. What do you think of this name, Impact Junkie? I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> That's exactly what you said. And here we are. And it's beautiful. We always say Impact Junkie is not just an organization doing things. Impact Junkie is you. Impact Junkie are the Impact Junkies who make it what it is. We've been going places. Doing a lot of things. Doing a lot of things. But the most beautiful part has is all the Impact Changing Junkies lives. who've come out of that we could never have expected. And these beautiful stories that are being written that we could never have imagined. And I think that's such an awesome a way to tell every Impact Junkie story. Absolutely. We always talk about imagine all the lives just waiting for you to step up. I know you've got many of these stories. So today we are honored to have the gold standard and to hear his chapters. And every one of us, as we go through this journey, starting with you, loving people, going places, changing lives, you know what we're talking about. Um, every one of us has a, a unique journey, a unique story, and a unique problem that we're meant to solve. And you're going to hear why we call him the gold standard. So why don't we jump right in? Let's get to it. This is going to be multiple episodes, but let's start with your journey. So start with you, where every impact junkie starts and what are you meant to solve? Tell us a little bit about your chapters and how you kind of came to this point of this is what I'm meant to solve. Sure. I'll, I'll do it in as small a segments as I possibly can. Uh, the first is right out of uh, college. I ended up working in two churches, one in Louisiana and then one in Texas, just short term, like three months each. I headed back to Indianapolis to find myself, and I ended up stopping at a children's home in Tupelo, Mississippi, Tupelo Children's Mansion. I ended up staying there for three years, but while I was there, I was director of residential uh, services, food services, and office manager, and it kind of gave me my footing of the different talents that I might be able to use for changing lives. I met my wife when she was like five or six. I don't remember exactly. I went to her birthday party in Coco, Indiana, and she ended up at another children's home in Blue Mountain, Mississippi, just 40 miles away. And it's a long story. You, this I, is I, a great story. Do you want me to tell it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was engaged to somebody. She was engaged to somebody. And we. she invited me to a gospel singing at her church over in Blue Mountain, Mississippi. And when she met me again after many, many years, she decided she wanted me for her husband instead of the one she was engaged to. She broke up her engagement and, and set in place that she wanted to marry me. From that... The girl I was engaged to, we already had our uh, announcements printed, addressed, <laughs> uh, stuffed, stamped, and she moved down a load of her clothes to Tupelo. I went the next day to pick up the mail. She rode with me, and when I got to the post office, uh, there was a letter in there from Evelyn. 
and it had cologne on it. It smelled so good. I just couldn't leave it in the mailbox. And I put it in a magazine inside the mail and uh, put it in the mail tray and had it in the middle of the seat, stopped at another location, picked up some things for the children's home. And the one I was engaged to picked up the magazine because she's a little bored. And she found the letter from Evelyn and wanted to know what it was all about. Well, long story short, before the weekend was over, we threw those invitations in the trash. She moved back to St. Louis and Evelyn and I started dating and we got married 12 weeks later or maybe 10 weeks later. Oh my goodness. And I had the oldest boy from Tupelo Children's Mansion stand up with me. She had the oldest girl from Blue Mountain Children's Home stand up with her. We had probably 125 kids at our wedding from uh, homeless children to social orphans, etc. And from our honeymoon, we were house parents to 22 boys. I, I don't recommend you start your marriage that way, but we did. Uh, but then we, we moved on because we knew we needed some time on our own. And we went to Oklahoma, ended up a year later pastoring a church in the metropolis of Hennepin, Oklahoma. Uh, there were 50 people that went to a church of another faith. Our first Sunday, we had 28 in a town of 100. That only left about uh, 22 souls not going to church in that community. But I just learned to love people. That was what I was taught. And we ended up running 150 people within two years in a town of 100 with the same 50 going to the other church in town. And I thought I hit a, a gold stream of uh, success. Thought I'd spend my life there. But we went to the children's home to have a going away event for the man and his wife who were heading up Tupelo Children's Mansion and they were hunting for a new director. We did not apply. Uh, there were seven other couples, as I remember correctly, who applied. And we walked away before I was 28 years of age, and we had 67 kids that we were legally parents to. We spent the next 23 years raising almost 1,000 children. We added 21 buildings to the campus. We had a total of 28 when we left. We added 160-some acres to the campus. We started a Christian school. We started a thrift store ministry that uh, we made about a quarter of a million a year profit off of a year. We started a local church and on our own, we asked Ford if we could start an adoption agency and an unwed mother's home. They gave us permission. And so on our own, we started New Beginnings Adoption Agency and Irwin Care Center for Unwed Mothers. We did that for 23 years until I say we became compassion deficit. We were exhausted with the fundraising. We raised about 38 million in those years. Uh, when we arrived there, there was no savings. Uh, when we left, we had $1.7 million in the bank. We had everything except $40,000 of debt paid off. And obviously, I must have been in a, a mental funk or I would have paid off that $40,000 and had everything paid off because the money was there. I don't know why I didn't do that. But uh, we ended up going to North Little Rock. We pastored there for three years. And then we moved to our church's international headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri and started the stewardship group. The next chapter of our life was, has been for the last uh, 18 years, we started the uh, United Pentecostal Foundation. We have probably uh, 70 uh, endowments and scholarship funds. We have some charitable trusts, donor advised funds, charitable gift annuities, and so forth. And then started an insurance company. And last year, I think we kept 588,000 in the uh, fellowship that would have gone out to agents and brokers then started the United Pentecostal Church Loan Fund uh, nine years ago, and we've gone from zero 
to over uh, right at 72 million as of today of investments and uh, net worth. We're seeing a lot of lives changed by providing the finance for churches that are growing to make a difference in their community. In the midst of all this, I met Philip, uh, saw him on Facebook, his uh, graduation from Harvard and his speech as the commencement speaker. And I said, I've got to connect with him. I just felt an urgency to help make a difference through his connection as being a millennial. I am 72 years old, but I'm not that old in my spirit. I still want to make a difference in lives, but I don't think like a millennial. And I needed someone who could uh, help me reach the future generation with stewardship things, which is changing lives and going places to make a difference around the world. So we are now in this amazing journey of Impact Junkie that's actually international already. So there's a lot. Oh my goodness. There's so much to unpack in your story. And we're going to dig into a couple of elements. It's There's so much beauty here going from mix of ministry, mix of community, yes. uh, a mix of uh, a heart for youth, a mix for entrepreneurship yes, and government and helping improve how cities function. There's, yes. there's, there's just so many. We talk about pulling out the themes from across the story. And, right? sure. and there's so many themes that we can pull out, but it also showcases the perfect mix of why impact. it makes sense when you look back that impact junkie is a natural <laughs> sort of, it's it act, makes sense. It's, it actually encompasses everything I've been doing all my life, but it's putting a different name to it for the future of my life until the Lord takes me out of this world. So let's, let's dig into a, a few pieces here. One of the things we talk about when we talk about the chapters and understanding you are the skills, the God-given abilities, the talents that you've sort of accumulated. And so talk a little bit about how you sort of pick these skills and maybe they didn't make sense in the moment, right? And how later they came back and those, those skills that you picked up along the way, those themes that started to develop in your life to help sort of inspire those of us who are not as far along on the journey. Well, I think the first was uh, loving people unconditionally that had been through horrible uh, circumstances of their lives. And I fell in love with the children that we were responsible for. And I could see beyond their past and their present circumstances and the sometimes the anger that they had, the disappointment, the hurts, and assure them that life was gonna be different in the future. So I, I think it was rooted in, in that love of children who could not help themselves and they needed someone to convince them that they were special, they were uh, created by God to be something special, and you 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 undergird them with that confidence that that God could help them out of those circumstances to be exactly what they need to be. So from that, of course, it takes money. Well, I I'll never forget on my way home from the election when we didn't apply for the job, and and we found out at 27, almost 28, that we we were over 67 kids, and we were legally their parents, and we had to raise all those funds. I had a pastor in Little Rock uh, when we stopped to have a meal along the way and we met with he and his wife. He said, so you like raising funds, huh? I said, no. He said, well, you just got the wrong job. <laughs> and so what I did was I started going to uh, seminars for children's homes on fundraising. And I found, I found out who I was and how I could raise funds. 
And that's how I raised from, I think our first year was 110,000. Our last year was two and a half million. And it was not government money. It was all uh, offerings and special gifts uh, and grants that uh, were from individuals or from other ministries to care for the children. And that's how I raised in those 23 years about $38 million that memorialized that I could do something that changed lives, even though it was raising the funds. And out of that came uh, the idea of doing endowments and trusts. And, and I learned those skills out of necessity, if you please, to provide the funding to make a difference. And of course, with Impact Junkie, we're going to have to find those pools of money and we're going to have to be able to ask for grants and we're going to have to ask for investment opportunities to change their lives because it does take money to provide the vehicle to make a difference. So before we go to love people and start talking, I want to dig into some of the problems and how you understood. We talk a lot about the problems being more complex than we originally understand. Um, And I want to dig into a couple of examples with that. But before we go there, still talking about your journey and your story. And I don't know how much you want to share. And I know there's a lot more time, but some of the painful experiences we talk about that help inform what you're meant to solve. Yeah, well, And so often we, we kind of push those away or push those down and try to ignore them. But really, in fact, those may be the very things that we're called to sol- solve and to oh. serve to help so many others. Oh, I can tell you the first was when I was five or six years old, I was molested by a family member. My family found out about it and they thankfully they found out about it and they stopped the molestation. Uh, my family didn't know what to do to help me. And so they ignored my hurt and my shame and my, my problems. They dealt with him, which was, which was great. And I've forgiven him. I, uh, we have a wonderful relationship today. I had to learn how to forgive somebody who had done something to me that should not have been done. The second thing is my father left our family. And so I had that experience. I had the molestation side. I had the being abandoned by the one who should love you and take care of you as your father image would sometimes tell me, get angry with me because I couldn't hold a flashlight the certain way he wanted me to. I mean, it was just bizarre. And so I had low self-esteem. Now, out of all that, of course, I had to admit that I was hurt and I was scarred. But what that did, instead of it becoming an anger issue for me or becoming dysfunctional, I decided to use those experiences to understand the hurts of others. And for probably 12 years taking care of the children at the children's home, I I was afraid to tell anybody about the molestation, that they would think that I was molesting the kids. Uh, And the reason is most people who have been molested, not most, but many, can become molestors. And so knowing those statistics, I was afraid to tell anybody. But I I ended up being in a situation where I was forced to tell my story. I wept for an hour as I spoke, emptying myself. And I stood before 500 youth pastors and told of my molestation, but how a youth pastor putting his hand on my shoulder, telling me he loved the way I worshiped, he loved the way I sung in the choir. He loved the way I dressed. He gave me confidence that I was okay. And so I translated that to those youth pastors. You don't know what's going on in the lives of the children, young people that you're, you're over. 
in your youth setting. And like my youth pastor didn't know, but what he did in loving me unconditionally changed my life. And so I was able to translate that to all the children from the molestation side. I was also able to translate from the abandonment side of my my natural father, but my heavenly father didn't abandon me. And so I was able to pull those pieces together. I was able to love those children in their situation, in their setting, without judging them. I understood some of their anger issues. I understood some of their uh, fears. I understood some of their lack of being able to trust themselves and that they were worthy or they were worthwhile. So Impact Junkie is doing the same thing. It's people in countries and communities that have have no self-assurance. They don't know where they're going to find their footing to be worthwhile and to make money and take care of their own family, etc. And so, thank goodness, I, I, I didn't allow my past to dictate my future in a negative way, but instead in a positive way. That's a, that is so inspiring for every impact junkie because we talk a lot about this and how you not just, it's not that you just survived, but you actually turn that into, Hey, this is something I can help others with. Right. Absolutely. And those very, those experiences that we spend so much time, people say, Oh, why can't we just jump to how to start a business? It's like, no, 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 let's slow down. Yes. Let's understand where you've been and what you've gone through. Listen to them. What Listen are... to your experience so that you can use that to help others. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And imagine if you had just ignored that and not shared that, how many thousands of lives would not have been affected and also have it rooted in your passion and something I don't want to see others experience this, or I want to help others who have experienced this how to move on and how to live an overcoming life. And, and you know what? You have to deal with those past issues. Um, and I, I remember uh, this family member uh, came to visit. He and his spouse came to visit us uh, one time when we lived in Tupelo and I was pastoring the church and I preached a message on forgiveness and he had no idea, but I invited him to the platform and in front of all those children, I forgave him for what he did to me. For younger kids, they didn't understand what I was saying, but for the older ones that were dealing with some of those issues, they got a clear understanding. And you know, that's the reason I'm so free. (laughs) It's because I dealt with it. I didn't allow the past to control my future. And I felt like I had to example that to those children that uh, you can't hang on to those hurts. You can't hang on to those disappointments. Uh, Turn it around for good. I love it. I love Love others. Make a difference in their lives. And there's another example. I think one of the things that's special about you is you have that entrepreneur theme and the ministry theme. You have been able to do ministry in a very non-traditional way. I have. And I think that's really inspiring to a lot of folks as well is to see that. And and I remember you've you've shared a few times sort of a, a a couple of moments where you felt like maybe... I lost, like, I've lost my ministry. And you've had people tell you, like, you oh, gave yeah, up I your did. ministry. I don't know if you, if you can share a little bit of, because I know that's inspiring to others. To, and then it sort of sets you up for even what you're doing today and the bigger impact that you're having in the world. I, I'll never forget when I was pastoring in Oklahoma and we were elected president of the children's home. My neighboring pastor, who at the time was probably my best friend, said to me, Steve, you've lost your ministry mm-hmm. because I was not pastoring. And I said, you know what? I think I found my ministry. And, you know, I, I'm getting ready to do a, um, an ordination message uh, in the future, in the month of August in a certain district. And I've already got my notes together that 
being a minister is not all pastoring. It's not all preaching. Sometimes it's teaching not only by the, the word, but by your example of loving people beyond their issues to let them become who they really were created to be. And just because you're not a one thing or you're not another doesn't mean that you're successful or not successful. You find out who you are, how you can use that, who you are to change the lives of others. That's a great way to say it. And that's exactly what every Impact Junkie is endeavoring to do. Is Absolutely. That first question we start with, right, is what are you meant to solve? And once you understand this is what I'm meant to do, this is the big hairy problem I'm meant to solve, that's what drives you, right? Absolutely. And it's not just looking for others to tell you this is what you're meant to do, but you feel it deeper inside. And so I love that. And there's a lot more. So, so let's move into love people. And there's a couple of great examples to pull in from your story. When we talk about loving people and understanding the problems are much more complex than we originally understood, or sure. there's multiple layers and these big problems in the world. So often we put a Band-Aid or a temporary solution, but realizing that there's a much deeper issue here and that you can solve this in a better way and bring together multiple, like the triple black belt ninja, the sure. triple black belt entrepreneur. Maybe you can share a couple of examples um, of how you've done that. I think both in the community with the children's home, but also the transition from the children's home and sort of realizing there's this idea of forever families. Sure. It? So the, there are two things I can think of at this point. It was brought to our attention that there were homeless people on the streets in, in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I felt like many, all the children had dysfunctional situations that happened to them or they wouldn't be at the children's home. And so I felt like if you could help them get involved in making a difference in others in the community because they had been helped, them to learn how to share that. So we got involved in alcohol ministry. We got involved in drug addict ministry. We got involved in nursing home ministry. We got involved in homeless ministry. Let me just give you the example of the homeless. Uh, in Tupelo, Mississippi, it was near the old fairgrounds, and it was where the city wanted to move their new city hall uh, and their city center, and they had tried several times to get the homeless out of the streets. So we ended up renting a little place in downtown Tupelo, and it was a comfortable place for the homeless to be able to come. Uh, it wasn't fancy. It was it a was, uh, little edgy, if you please. It was sort of not in the good part of town. And uh, we got the different restaurants, uh, McDonald's, Burger King, and I think Hardee's. And they, they fixed breakfast sandwiches and, and they gave them free so that we could bring these folks in and feed them. We taught them what the scripture taught, uh, gave them of of First uh, Timothy 5 and 8, that your first responsibility is to take care of your own. And to do that, you had to get a job and you had to get a place to live, et cetera. So we then helped them. We taught them how to make sure they, they had hygiene in their body. Uh, we provided clothes for them from the thrift store. Uh, we helped them apply for jobs. Uh, we would rent an apartment for them. We would manage their money. And then we'd end up turning the money over to them and they'd have a place to live. They'd have a job. And you've been there. You've you've mm -hmm. talked with the former uh, vice mayor of the city, yep. and she uh, she told you how we literally got all the homeless off the streets at that point in Tupelo, Mississippi. They ended up making back their their city hall. They ended up building the convention center across the street and the Hilton Garden Inn and all the nicer restaurants of Tupelo are there now. 
And so we, we had that experience of, of changing the whole culture of a city because we love people where they were, we heard their voice, we heard their cry, and we provided a solution. So you, you've mm-hmm. been there, you've talked with them. I think yeah. we even recorded yeah. her testimony yeah. of how we changed those lives. I lo- going in with empathy, understanding the needs before jumping to solutions, and then looking to say, how can we solve multiple things here? Like yes. I love how you said you connected the youth that you're working with and helping them understand how to be problem solvers and sure. work on problems in their community. That's such a great example. Well, and I have to say, though, that you, you have to find somebody who has the ability to spend time on that and do it. So uh, my secret, I think, has always been finding somebody else who had a passion to do it and give them that opportunity. And they make you look as a leader uh, and as an individual good because they can focus on that. I had so many different areas I was responsible for that if I didn't find somebody. And so they have the success. And and his name happens to be Bill Dillon. And he was fabulous in just loving those people and heading up that program and made look me made me look as a, a pastor, as a very successful person. When truth was, I my success, I think, was letting somebody else become the agent of change. Others. Empowering others and finding ways to tap into their passion purpose. Absolutely. That's and, awesome. And expand. That's like a change lives. That's be, that's next. We're going around the X. That's right. how we're scaling and, and connecting the dots. That's awesome. And also, then, I was going to, yeah, have you share about the um, Forever Families? Yes. Uh, so in all of these almost a thousand children that between my wife and I at Blue Mountain in the early years and then my years, early years at the Children's Mansion and then our years together there. Between the two of us, we had 50 years, uh, me 26, her 24 at the Children's Mansion. But we raised almost a 1,000 kids. But I discovered every child wanted a forever family. I, I hadn't been taught that, but listening to the kids' heart and their cry for identity with a mother and a father and a family. What I discovered was too many of them were left lingering. They uh, aged out of the system. But then they didn't know where to go, even though we had a great system to provide the college education of uh, tuition, books, and fees for a couple of years. And if they if they got a scholarship, why they could even uh, use that money later. So we provided computers, cars, whatever they needed to accomplish that goal of going on. But they still didn't have a family to connect to. And everybody wants to be connected that they are important. So... Evelyn and I really became passionate about creating forever families through adoption uh, for children that you could not uh, reunite them with their original family. So what we did was we asked permission to start New Beginnings Adoption Agency. And because uh, the Children's Mansion was not a licensed facility, because it was connected to a church organization, they didn't want to have a ministry licensed where the state could come in and, and control how they raised the kids. We knew that that couldn't happen under a, a license agency of adoption. Had to be that way. So we asked permission, and they gave us permission, and it was on record. And then they erased it from the record that they gave us permission because they didn't even want to be on record as uh, authorizing a license agency. So that's how New Beginnings got started. And there's no record of giving us permission because they removed it. And I understand that. Uh, but over the years, we have adopted over 1,000, I believe, 400 children through New Beginnings. Uh, we've saved hundreds and hundreds of babies from abortion. And here's how we did it. We would create a contract 
uh, with the family that placed the child at the children's home. And we would give them so many months and they had to do certain benchmarks. We were responsible for doing uh, certain benchmarks. And if they fulfilled those, we would have a social work study of a uh, home study of the home. And then we would go to the court and we would say, please place this child or children back into their original setting. If they broke their contract, we would renew it one more time. And if they broke it a second time, then we had the evidence that we had tried to do what we could, but we didn't want those child, that child or children to linger in the system. They needed a forever family. So either the family puts them back together or we find somebody that will adopt them. And so uh, the last, I think, eight, nine years that we were at the children's home, we adopted 124 children into forever families, as well as those that were reunited with their, their uh, own natural families. So today, I just think it's, it's wonderful that they, they don't have to identify with Evelyn and me. They identify with their, own nat- their new natural family. There's so much to say here, but I love the, we always say do more with what you've been given and always finding, not just being, not just settling like, oh, I I solved the problem, right? I did it. But you're saying, well, how can we even do this better? Absolutely. And and it's being rooted in who you're meant to serve, who you love. And if you really love these youth and you've experienced this, it's rooted in you. And if you really love them, you want to do the best for them, not just to make yourself feel good and say, oh, well, look what I did. I did this children's home and I raised all these kids, but you genuinely have a love as you continue to say for the, the, and the love for who it is you're meant to serve and you want what's best for them, not just what's best for you. Right. Because I, I, when you fall in love with those kids, you'd like to keep them there forever because you love them so much, but that's not what was best for them. What's best for them is to be reunited with their family or find another family for them to become a forever family with. Beautiful. And there's a lot more we can say. And I, I know there's so many events and so many places we've been and you're like, oh, we're going to stop in. And you sort of feel like an extended father or grandfather to kids thousands around the world. And I have and many kids that were never adopted uh, that I become the grandfather. My wife is the grandmother. We send birthday cards to a lot of folks with money in it. A lot of kids that are grandkids to us now. And so it's Another a great thing picture. I, I love about your story, I mean, when you talk about going from your experience at five or six to then helping thousands of youth, right? And I, I, even we, we talk a lot about God nods yes. and these sort of divine intervention. It couldn't have been just a human doing it. But when you look back and you say, wow, it was meant to be, there's a couple of God nods in there. But it's also you not pushing away your experience and you, you look and you hear all these stories that are continuing. And we say a lot, imagine all the people just waiting for you to step up Sure, that are cheering for you. And in that moment at five or six, it was hard and confusing and growing up as a young person, you struggled, you said what you was wrong your with insecurities me. and realizing, turning that into, this is what I meant to solve. And some God nods along the way Absolutely. that you said, we didn't apply, we didn't intend for this to happen. And all of a sudden it's sort of like, wait a minute, this is what I meant to do with my life. Absolutely. And that, turning that experience to help so many thousands and thousands of others. And those stories continue to affect so many more lives. And it's having the right life partner too. It makes a difference. Absolutely. My wife is a, an amazing lady that uh, together we can conquer worlds unknown. Yes, that's right. We got to interview Miss Gold Standard. She's amazing. Well. 
there's a lot to say. We, that's boy, that's that's definitely a couple more episodes yeah. on its own. But let's talk about going places. So we've gone love people, love the rooted in empathy. Those are some great examples, and there's many more we can pull from. Um, when we talk about going places and actually making that jump to turning ideas and these frustrations, and then you better understand the problem and what you're meant to solve and who you're meant to serve. We jumped over that canyon to go places. I would love for you to take us on our very first IJ trip. To Haiti? To Haiti, standing in the mud. Do you remember yeah. this? Oh, I remember. Tell us, well. walk us through that journey. We, we've shared that story before, but it's such a great example of loving people and understanding the needs and wanting what's best for them, not what's best for you. And also test and iterate, which we work a lot on with go places is get something out quickly, make sure it's rooted in understanding the problem and then continue to make it better. And so I think it's a great example to tell the story sure. about that, that beautiful day. Well, uh, I, I don't know where it started, but I, I remember reading uh, where somebody had started uh, a fund to build water wells because water is one of the greatest needs in this world. And so I didn't know where to start. So Evelyn and I gave enough money to the foundation to start a Wells of Life Endowment Fund. And then I started finding folks who would give to it. And when we started Impact Junkie, it just was a natural. Why don't we go to someplace that needs water? We chose Haiti and we raised enough funds to build three water wells. So we took a team. We went there. Uh, we were there and we kind of memorialized the, those three water wells. And the last one, one was at a church, one was at a school, school and the other was at an orphanage. And when we were at the one at the, the school, ch- school, school actually, yeah, yeah uh, you got in the uh, down and helped the three men that were uh, digging the water well. And I sat on the porch with the, uh, the head of the school, the pastor. And I said, what would it take to buy the equipment? Why don't we provide jobs for other people? How much would it cost to buy the equipment so we can make a business out of this? And so we figured out how much it would cost to buy all the equipment to hire, let men uh, go out and uh, get contracts and build water wells. And we figured out they could build two a week for profit and pay the, the expenses and the salaries of the men. And those same men could build one a week for either a school, an orphanage, or a church free of charge. And in 10 years, we could provide water, clean water, to 1 million people by just buying the equipment. And that equipment was only about $10,000. So we went back, we raised the funds for the equipment, and we sent it to the missionary. And as far as I know, they're they're building yep. water wells with that money uh, the, by the equipment that they purchased. And I love that. That's such a classic Impact Junkie move to be sitting like in the middle of the action and still constantly, how can we do this better? How can we do more with what we've been given? And making sure it's rooted in empathy and really empowering those that we say we love, not creating dependency and making us feel good, right? Because we're, look at what we're doing to start these wells, but we're actually empowering those there and making it in a sustainable way. It gave gave those men a job. It gave them a living to care for their family. It provided free uh, water to uh, orphanages and schools and churches that needed it. And And they know how to build them better than we do. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We don't know. Absolutely. So I love that story. And it's understanding what you can bring, right? That's why it's so important to start with you, understanding what you can bring 
right? We may not be able to jump in there and dig all these wells. We don't know how to do that. No. But they know how, and they know how to do it better. They know the need. They understand it better. How can we empower them and say, help those that we say we love in a better, more sustainable way? And I think that's a, a great, I mean, when you think of all the places we've been together since we started this journey, which are it's, amazing. It's hard to imagine not seeing all these pictures, backs of elephants, plane rides to being out in the, you know, in the jungles to Honduras to Jamaica, Guatemala, Belize, Belize, uh, so many beautiful stories that if you've been part of our Impact Junkie programs or been to events, you've heard some of these stories, you know some of these stories that have been unfolding and continue to unfold. But it's that maybe you can talk a little bit about that just going ahead and taking action. At what point do you just start something? And what do you, you know, where you get the confidence to say, you know what, we're gonna, we don't have it 100% figured out. Right. I know a lot of people kind of struggle. You get, you figure, you want to make sure you're not causing more harm and adding to the problem. So you want to make sure we start with you loving people. But then at some point, you've got to just say, we got to take action. And we, we lean toward action as I do. We lean toward action. So how do you kind of help people overcome what they can, perceive as fear you know i've never jumped out of a plane with a parachute <laughs> i kind of think i'd like that i think i would but i have jumped off the cliff a few times <laughs> of uh doing things that i didn't know exactly how to do it but i would research it enough just enough to figure out the basics of it and from the basics of it you've got enough confidence in yourself that you're going to say, I can do this. I don't know how fully to do it, but I'll figure out a way because people need help. And when you know that people need help, you know you've done it in the past in some way, shape, or form, or you have a little bit of experience, you can end up just jumping off the cliff, so to speak, and 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 just doing it. I don't know how to explain it other than you, you can't let fear stop you. You can't let... Ex- lack of experience stop you. If you know it's something you need to do, you simply figure out a way to do it. I'd never started a a loan fund and look at over 72 million in it now in nine years. I'd never started a foundation, but I'd never started an adoption agency. I'd never started an unwed mother's home. I'd never started a church. I'd never started a thrift store. I'd never started a school. But you know what? When you know that there's a need, you can find a way if you know that there there is a higher power God to help you do what you need to do. And I think that that's such, you hit on something there so powerful. It's rooted in something bigger. And we talk about starting a business, starting an organization. Yeah, that's, we love all that and we do that, but that may just be a means to the end. That's yes. just part of it. That's just part and of mechanics. If, if it, it's, it's a part of what you're meant to solve and your bigger, your journey that you're on and what you're called to who you're meant to serve and what problems you're meant to solve. And along the way, it may take forms, like you said, a thrift shop and a, a mother's home, an adoption agency, a big impact fund. That's just All the mechanics these things of it. are just parts of the journey. And I right. think it's easy to get distracted and say, oh, I tried that and it didn't work, or I'm not as passionate about this as I was. It's being rooted in that bigger calling that you have. Absolutely. Right? And I love how you've lived that, how you've exemplified that. And there's so many other stories that we'll continue to tell. And you've got to spend some time with the gold standard. This is why we say, we call him the gold standard. You're just getting a little taste today. But um, as we close out this episode, what would you? What other advice would you leave 
for new impact junkies who are maybe just starting out this journey or just kind of starting down this path. Of course, they're inspired by your story and all the things you've done, but what would you kind of encourage new impact junkies as they're just starting out this journey? How would you? Don't let your past control your future. Instead, let it guide you in what you can do to change lives so that others won't experience what you have. The second is, don't be afraid of the unknown. Uh, you just have to find your footing, believe in yourself, uh, believe that's what you're called to do and that's what you're going to do and do some research and get some confidence. Just know you can do something above and beyond and something you've never done before. I mean, it's just, it could, it's scary sometimes. I mean, it's real scary, but you know what? Otherwise you stay stuck in the past and I refuse to do that. That's for sure. You've always got the latest technology, the newest apps. I do. You even got some things before I find out about it. So that's inspiring. We love you, Gold Standard. I love you. We're so thankful for you and thankful for the impact you're having on all of our lives. And I know there's one moment you said you feel that God spoke to you. Yes. I had a time every year, the first of the year, that uh, when I pastored, I would encourage people to come to the church and and pray. Um morning, noon, and evening, and then come back for corporate prayer late at night. And I was in the uh, church auditorium. Uh, this must have been 1996 uh, or something like that. And I was praying. I was the only one in there. And I, I actually heard a voice call my name out. I looked around. And this is what happened to me two times in my life. I know sometimes preachers say God talked to them all the time. I hadn't had that experience. I, this is just a just a special moment in my life. And I didn't see anyone, so I turned around and started praying again. It was just like 15, 20 minutes that I spent there. And uh, I heard the voice again, and I just listened finally. And the voice spoke to my heart. Uh, the end of your life is going to be going to be more important and change more lives than uh, the beginning part. So I kind of saw myself in an office inside Tupelo, Mississippi, managing all these different ministries. And instead, uh, I had to go through a desert experience. I, I left there because I, I was, as I told you earlier, compassion deficit. I was exhausted from all of the uh, giving of ourselves and our lives. Uh, we went to North Little Rock to rest, and 12 weeks later, we were elected pastor. I don't know that I was ready for it, but we were at the right place at the right time to help the people find healing during a period of time in their lives. Uh, and then I was asked to come to our church international headquarters to start the stewardship group. They had no money to, to fund it. I, they had no office. I took a pay cut to go there and I didn't even have a car of my own. And I, I had somebody loan me a car for a year but it was depressing at age 52 to not even have a vehicle of your own after all these things that we had done. And I struggled. I went through a period of depression. I ended up on medication and I, I felt like I'd thrown my life away. But that became the understanding again that it's not you. It's what God wants you to become. And so it was became very clear that it was a God calling. It was not a personal calling. It wasn't your personal ability. It was depending upon God to give you extraordinary direction to change lives uh, through your efforts in the future. So what we're doing today, it isn't Steve Drury, it isn't Philip Harding. It's really using 
what God wants you to do to change lives in the future. And you end up knowing it's, it's not your capacity. It's God's capacity to use what he put inside of you to be successful. Wow. Thank you for that. I mean, you can always look at someone and think, oh, they've, they've achieved all these mountains. They've climbed all these mountains. They've gone over beyond farther than we ever think they could go and still pushing, right? Trying to drive farther to say, what else can I do? Sure. What, what am I meant to do? And still asking those questions and never feeling like I've fully achieved, fully reached that mark. But I'm always pushing, say, how can I do more? How can I push myself farther? I think that's one of the things why it's so important. We want to have this community, this network Absolutely. where you can be around other crazy people. And some days you're <laughs> going to be at the low, the low end. And some days you're going to be on top of the mountain. And you need that network, right? And when you, you when you start something, you're going to hit some real valleys because it's you're out there on a cliff all by yourself in between stations of, of the progress. And you've got to know that you were called to do this and you were called to make a difference because it gets it's gets scary out there flying through the air yep. with no <laughs> no uh, nothing to hang on to, but you just jumped off the cliff because you're convinced that down below or out there is something that you're meant to change. Well, thank you for sharing today and get to know the gold standard. You're blessed. We are all blessed to have you, thank you. Um, on this journey with us and that our lives have overlapped. We are so grateful, not just for your wisdom, but also for your experience. And that comes with it. Well, having gone okay. down some of these roads that we're all trying to get to. Let me go back to something else. And that is finding you and connecting with you was the secret as far as I'm concerned, because you know how to collect, connect to the younger generation. Uh, you're teaching me how to do it, which is great. But I won't be here as long as you if, if the normal progression of life and death transpires. At 72, I know that if I am blessed, I'm already living on borrowed time, two years into borrowed time, according to the scripture. So, you know, and I feel like I, I'm healthy and I'll do, uh, I'll live a long time yet, but none of us know. So, this is something that will live way beyond me. And so I hope it's a Matthew 25 principle when I step through the, the gates of heaven that the Lord's going to say, what did you give? What did you do with what I gave you while you were here on earth? And I'll be able to answer and say, I found the connector and we connected together and we changed lives around the world and we became impact junkies to make a difference. All right. We're going to leave it there. That was powerful. <laughs> That's a good way to go out. Thank you. And we'll keep the keep this going. There's going to be many more sessions where you can hear more, dig deep into these stories. And thanks for joining us. And let's keep loving people, going places, and changing lives. This story is still being written every day. You're writing another page. Another chapter is being written. And uh, let's go do it together. Let's go change some more lives. Become an impact junkie. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>